Welcome to Living on Purpose. I'm Mark Pumphrey, along with my co-host, Dr. Christy Stewart, coming to you from the Circle City, Indianapolis, Indiana. And you know, today we're going to talk about something I think really affects a lot of people. It's their story versus their stigma, right? Yes. And I think a lot of people really generally need to hear this because I think what they think is their story is really a stigma and some stigmas might just be your story. So you did a lot of research, as you always do, on these topics. And I think for folks that are going to listen to this, I think it might tweak them just a little bit to think a little bit differently about this. Well, it's interesting because this came about that there was a Facebook ad for a flag that says, Live a Great Story. Mm. And I just happened to need a new flag. And so I bought this flag. And so I really love this saying. Just to live oh, yeah. a great live story. Oh, live a great story. So I was trying to understand exactly what it means because, you know, I think words matter. Yes. So I looked up the definitions of the words to, okay. s- to see exactly what this flag that's hanging in from my front yard, <laughs> what does it literally mean? And it really made something that I thought was cool and I liked into something that I really love. And mm. it obviously got a show out of this because I think living a great story is really, really important. And I think understanding how you do that is really everything we talk about on the show of living on purpose. I think it mirrors it perfectly. And think about that is you're actually giving a roadmap on how to live a great story because sometimes we don't know how to get there. And it's a great saying. I mean, you think about it, you know, live a great story. It's inspiring, right? It is. But sometimes we don't know how to get there. And I think a good way is to start with the definition of things. So I looked up the word live and what does it actually mean? Okay. And it just simply means... Staying alive or having a life. Okay. Okay. So it's pretty simple, (laughs) right? We're breathing. Basic. So we're alive. So I looked up life, right? Mm -hmm. Having a life, which is the existence of an individual human being or an animal. So again, very basic. And that life is really in the present form, right? Not something that is fluid in motion. Oh, okay. So since life goes moment to moment, I think that live is about being present in the moment, but moving forward by not just being alive, but by quote-unquote living. Mm. making Turning it actually into an adjective, if you will. Gotcha. Okay. Because living, when I took it a step further and looked up that definition, is the pursuit of a lifestyle of a specified type. So now we're getting into something, right? Right. So in the phrase life or living, it is really how we view our existence based on the specific choices that we make. Okay. okay, so far in the definition. And I think that's very clear for anybody. I think that if you were sitting over here listening to it, you would think, okay, that is a pure definition of this, right? Right. So let's add the story in. Okay. Right? So how does our existence and our choices relate to creating a story? Okay, story, by definition, is an account of past events in someone's life or in it, the evolution of something. Okay. Okay, so breaking that down, another step of evolution (laughs) is the gradual development of something, especially from a simple to a more complex form. Okay, that totally makes sense. So breaking down the phrase into the words, what it kind of actually means is, again, we're breathing, so we have an existence. Mm -hmm. Whether we react to what happens to us or we make choices in pursuing a specific type of life for ourselves, one that we believe is possible and that we believe we're worthy... And we see that these past choices that we hope to move from an existence that is simple, right? Baby steps, childlike choices, simply reacting, simply letting other people make our choices for us and pursue a more complex life. So it's interesting to say complex, 
not complicated. Right, right. right. And I think that that goes a a, a whole, because that's the evolution, Mm -hmm. right? The evolution part is going from baby steps, baby choices, to adult authenticity, authentic choices, and a transparent life. That's my words into that, of making it more complex. Again, simple doesn't mean easy. Sure. Complex doesn't mean complicated. Right. Though I got to tell you, it gets a little complex when you have to sign that or the mortgage for the first time. There you, you, know? Go. <laughs> you know, for me, I've kind of made past choices to embrace the things of adventure and travel, mm-hmm. right? Because I want my story to be one of that has a complexity of learning and experiencing new things in new places. That's my choice. Those right. are my choices of how I have evolved in my adulthood. You know, you, you love to learn, but not so much for traveling mm-hmm. as far as traveling internationally and right. the same. You love camping, but not necessarily traveling, traveling. So, well, I don't like to go outside the United States too much, and that has nothing to do. I now, if I was with somebody like you that is experienced, I'm okay with that. But even going to someplace like New York, you were a bit overwhelmed. I'm a bit life. overwhelmed from that. Yes. Yeah. So, you're absolutely right. So, I guess the point I was trying to make is that your story and your choices are different, mm-hmm. right? And we both want a life that is, quote-unquote, living, right? We want, to, we want to change that life of existing into an adjective of living mm-hmm. and more complex than just breathing and existing. Absolutely, 100%. So, everybody's choices and their evolution is a bit different, but it takes embracing those fears around making the wrong choices and making no choices and from staying in that childlike state of letting others make your choices, whether it's because you're a child and you don't have a, a choice in that, or you're an adult and you want to just stay in that place, or embracing those fears and making your own choices and making your own decisions and evolving into a living state that is your evolution. That's what I came up with, breaking down the living a great story or live a great story. So living a great story comes about embracing those fears that are making you hold yourself back and moving forward. It it totally makes sense. We've broken all of it down. So is not facing the fear, is that stigma? Well, it's interesting because I really couldn't have told you what stigma really kind of with the definition of it. I mean, I kind of knew, but when I was thinking of live a great story, what are those things that hold us back? What are those fears? What are those things that keep us from evolving Mm -hmm. into our best self, into our life purpose, into living a great story? Well, they really are the stigmas of the outside world pushing on us that keep our choices childlike or keep our choices from evolving us. Okay, so first I guess we get, we should ask, you talked about that you didn't actually know no no stigma. So what is the definition of stigma for everybody out there? It is a mark of disgrace associated with a particular circumstance, quality, or person. Public disapproval or perceived social norm differences that we can hold against someone, a particular group, or likely, most dangerous, the stigmas that we believe about ourselves. Gotcha. Okay, so this could be anything that anybody deems wrong or not. Yeah, okay, gotcha. And we did a whole whole show on, you know, marginalization (laughs) and intersectionality. This really, the stigmas really fit with that. Oh, sure, yes. Okay. But the origin is from the Greek, and it simply means a mark made by a pointed instrument similar to a dot, like a mark of imperfection. That's literally the Greek interpretation of the word stigma. So you could interpret that as you're imperfect 
right. as a person. Okay, gotcha. Right. And what, what are your imperfections? And the stigma that other people are putting on that, society in general, they're putting a mark on you, and you're accepting that mark as a difference and as being not, quote-unquote, normal. Okay, so you grew up in an impoverished neighborhood, so the chances of you making it is very slim, is a stigma. Right. And And then you believing it. Yeah. (laughs) And then you add on all kinds of other stigmas to that, right? Your parents were lazy and didn't want to work or whatever. You were on welfare or some kind of government assistance. Okay. And so you were worthless and you're not worthy and you, whatever, whatever we want to put to it, that society is going to deem you as different. And what I found was that when, especially when we look at big demographics of people that are marginalized and it's not like all the marginalized populations don't marginalize other populations, right? <laughs> you know, okay, yes, I mean, African Americans have been on that prejudice. You know, they've had prejudice put on them. They've had they've had stigmas put on them for hundreds of years. Yes. So a demographic group that has been marginalized or put a stigma on them can then have a stigma against a different group. Okay. And marginalize them. So you can have you know a percentage or maybe a small group or that have a stigma of African Americans that don't like transgendered people. Sure. Yeah, and absolutely. Then, and so then the transgender people then have a stigma put upon them. And then, you know, some people it doesn't bother them and some people it take they take it on as their own mark, if mm-hmm. you will, based on the definition, mark of imperfection by society's norms. You know, it occurs really when the general public endorses some kind of negative stereotype and discriminates against a specific group. Isn't that the way, though? Again, I mean, <laughs> it, it just fascinates me that you have groups and groups and groups, right, of people that are getting discriminated against, and then those groups discriminate against other groups. <laughs> you know, you think if everybody would stick together, then there wouldn't be this problem. There w- well, at least you'd be stronger together, but, I, but you're right, because we don't want... That whole stigma of whatever they are put on to the, you know what I'm saying? It's that, it's that I'm going to mark you because th- to push you away. So then that way I don't, I don't have to do that part of it, you know, or whatever. So yeah, okay. And the problem is that it really leads to an internal feeling of shame. Absolutely. Right? Goffman in a 1963 study said that stigma reduces a stigmatized individual from, quote, from a whole and usual person to a tainted, discounted one. When you meet somebody that has a lot of stigma on them, they're almost a shell of a person. And don't we have a whole society of people that are living in this state, in this country? Mm -hmm. I mean, even people that you think shouldn't feel this way really do because they're always worried about somebody putting some more of a stigma onto them. So, yeah, they're almost a shell of a person. It leads to shame, reduced self-esteem, social withdrawal, hopelessness, demoralization as a person. Absolutely. And... I don't know. I just really had not thought about this as such a broad, you know, we talk about stereotypes and we talk, Mm -hmm. we've done shows on self-esteem and confidence and all those things. But this really is so much larger um, of a problem. You know, those things probably were like little micro problems of this is a macro problem. You know, so we have really three things at play here, right? We have the stigma that is a social norm that we perceive ourselves as different or an outcast, a mark, right, of something wrong with us. We have guilt for doing or perceiving an action based on other stigmas. 
Mm-hmm. And then we have shame, which is an unpleasant, self-conscious emotion typically associated with a negative evaluation of self. Well, in general, guilt and shame are both a response to having wronged someone, including yourself, right? You're wronging yourself by accepting the stigma as something is wrong with you. Mm-hmm. But the difference really is that guilt appears to push people to act more in a, in a, in a way, a moral way. So guilt is really about an action, while shame appears to simply be more about somebody feels about bad about themselves. And I think that Ron Bernard, who was a guest on our show one time, talked about that guilt is the of something that you did and shame is something that is wrong with you that is and that is not fixable okay that's one of the things with shame that you can't fix you can fix guilt right you can do it different you can apologize you can do it but when it's shame and it's internal you can't fix shame because there's some, you believe this stigma there's something that is just fundamentally wrong with you that is unfixable unlovable un whatever insert here of that you can't do anything about it and it just consumes you. And you think about how that can be widespread. Okay. So you're talking about uh, the public, you know, they don't, they shame somebody for whatever, you know, you're a different color, you're gay, whatever the, the case may be, but it can also be more of a nucleus of a family, right? You're the black sheep. You never did any good. You're never going to do any good. So you could have that shame from years of constant abuse from that, right? Exactly. Exactly. So that stigma is what's just generating you to get up every morning. And, ooh, this is good stuff. I mean, I never really thought about it in these terms. And if you think of the social stigmas put on groups that are discriminated against mm-hmm. or alienated, you can really see how that shame, because people think, well, why don't you just, you know, rise above your circumstance? Right. Well, because you have shame and shame again, by definition is an internal feeling that you are not fixable, that you can't do anything about that. That's where the shame is. If it was just guilt, like, you know, your parents did something and I can, you know, rise above it and do better then you can do that. But shame is really an internal emotion that keeps you stuck because you believe the stigma against you. Yeah, I never read very well, so I'm never going to amount to anything. And you just keep replaying that, and then you feel shame from it, so you avoid it at all costs. And then when people say, you need to rise up out of this, well, that's all fair and good, and that makes you feel good for 37 seconds. But then the shame comes right back in because the stigma is still there. Right. There's really not a group out there that doesn't have a stigma against that for whatever reason. So it really hurts all of us. When I looked into what does that do? What harm does that do to us? What what harm are we doing to others even if we're putting a stigma on them Mm. and holding judgment on them? It creates fear and anger against differences. And if that isn't alive and well in the world (laughs) we're living in right now. uh, Of people who think different, look different, have different beliefs. It's also, I believe, really related to bullying and hate crimes and justifying those things. And isn't it amazing how you can justify those because of those stigmas that you've put on another group? Especially the more social stigma behind it, the more that it's socially acceptable to discriminate or harass a group of people because of a stigma, then the more socially acceptable it is to do those things to that group. Wow. Stigma can make people more likely to hide from differences. Makes sense, right? You're going to hide your differences. You know, I I was talking about this with somebody and they had said, what exactly, what 
what groups are kind of you talking about. We've named a few, but some of if you look online, what are some social stigmas, types of social stigma? People that belong to ethnic or religious group. Um, we see Muslims that are really taking a beating at this yes. point. Uh, physical and mental disabilities. Um, our former president even made fun of people for that and made it socially acceptable to have a to stigma. To do so, and, yes. Yeah. Uh, very often people with drug or alcohol addictions have a stigma associated with them. Transgendered gay populations, especially in their youth. People that have been in prison. Well, you never think uh, about that. That is so true. Stigma, oh, definitely. Unemployed or underemployed, they're judged for the they are. Yes, they are. Very much you know, so. Just think, go get a job. Yeah. I mean, we want to drive through Starbucks every morning or go through McDonald's and get our coffee every morning, but we don't appreciate the person who's working for yes. minimum wage. Uh, one big stigma is one that people that are overweight. Yes. Yep. We have these beliefs behind why that is. Those are reasons why people just don't seek help or acknowledge for the reasons why they're getting discriminated against usually, right? Especially when we're coming from, you know, transgendered or, or gay youth or uh, obviously physical disabilities are probably pretty common, but mental ones maybe not. Not admitting what religious group you belong to. Well, I got to tell you, when I was a kid, my uncle dated a Latino woman. When we were talking when I was a kid, I said, oh, can you speak Spanish? She goes, no, my parents wouldn't let me oh. when they moved here because the stigma of her being able to be bilingual was too much at that time, you know, and this was probably, probably in the much, 70s. Still you know? probably too much at the time now. Yes, absolutely. So you, yeah. you think about those things that are that we think is incorrigible now. Mm-hmm. You have it throughout history, and yes, you're probably right. There's probably a lot more worse things there are today than there was even you know, 20 years ago. Well, it was interesting. There's a lot done on this for drug and alcohol addictions. Like if you just look up stigma, that's going to be your number one thing you're going to find. There's a lot on it because the people with drug or alcohol addictions, this is one of the main reasons why they do not seek help. Mental health Mm -hmm. issues is another reason. Even if you think about if you have some kind of mental health issue going on, Sure. And you go seek treatment, and you have health insurance, and it comes back to your employer. A lot of people won't seek mental help because yeah, of that, so because then their insurance is going to pay for it, or it's so expensive they can't afford to pay for it, mm-hmm. or maybe you need an inpatient program, but you don't want to do that because of the stigma associated with that with your job, mm-hmm. um, your family, or whatever. So when it comes to especially um, mental health issues, drug and alcohol problems, a lot of people do not seek treatment because of the stigma put upon them by society and that they will negatively impact them. And I mean, let's just talk about that for one brief second, because especially now that we're coming a little bit more out of the pandemic and we're, there's going to be quite a few number of people that are going to have to seek some kind of mental health professional. And if you do live with that stigma that it's like, oh, I can't do that because then what will people think of me? I, you know, I'm the rock in this relationship. I'm the rock of the family. And so you don't seek it out because you do not want somebody to know your job, your family, your partner, whatever. That is a huge stigma that you have to, and then like you say, then the shame comes in. Right. So right. wow. and then you believe that there's just something fundamentally wrong with you. Yeah, th- this is not happening to anybody else but me. Right. Exactly. 
And I think that, you know, there are extremes, right? These people that aren't getting help that have major issues. Sure. And then people that they, they live their story out, no problem. The rest of us humans in here making our choices live somewhere in a spectrum of that story. We're the 80 where, percentile. Right, the 80 percent <laughs> that we're living out the best life that we know how to do. You know, again, other people are stuck in the perceptions of other people and they live there. They are alive by definition, but they certainly aren't living. Because of these stigmas that we have really laid out. I mean, again... That we accept to be true. Yes. So now that we have the story and the stigma, how can we translate that? I mean, how can we start moving more towards living a great story? Whatever that great story may be. How we start it, how we look at it. So what, what can we do to start making that happen? When we talk about living a great story, right? Um, that's really about making decisions to live your life to the fullest and create every day really as a new piece of that story. So it's interesting. So then I took this a step further when I thought, okay, a story. What makes a great story? Mm-hmm. Now that we've defined what a story is. And really, you know, as an author, there are five main elements to creating a great story. And I think those are as applicable to what we're talking about today as if you want to go out and write a novel. Okay. Okay. So the five parts that make up a great story are the main elements, characters, set, plot, conflict, and then the theme. Totally makes sense. If you want a great story, you're going to have to have all those things. So I broke it, the rest of our show down into those pieces of what are the five main elements if you want to live a great story. You. You. Whoever you are that are listening right now. I personally, Christy Stewart, sit here and say, I want to live a great story. I want to make choices that evolve me into a more complex, happier more fun, all the things that I value, all of the stigmas that are put on me for whatever reason, I want to bury them and push them aside so I can live an exciting, fun, adventurous story. Okay, so you're the character so in this story. I'm, you're so the character. Those That is what I want to do, and that's why I hang that flag outside on my flagpole in front of my house <laughs> because I believe that, and that comes down to choices. And if we look at a story or have five elements, I think we're going to see how these five elements translate into your life, my life, everybody else's life. And they are a real map of how do you go about living a great story. Okay. So the first being characters, right? In a story, the characters create and push the plot forward. Right. right. You have to have, you know, unless you have, you're, have the characters and unless you're the movie Castaway and you got a volleyball and Tom Hanks, <laughs> the rest of us don't live in that place. And we, if you watch that movie, you'll see that it just about killed him because we are social beings and we need interaction from other people. Some okay. more than others. You're more social than I am. So you really require more of that than I do. But we all need characters, our six people that we talk about. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if you're t- thinking about a story that you read. Right or a story that you're watching in somebody else, the the readers or the observers need to experience the world that's been created through all the different characters. Mm-hmm. Right, so we need all of those different pieces in our life, both from the way that those characters interact with their environment and the way that the characters view their environment. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and isn't that true? Right, we talk about that all the time. Of who you surround yourself with matters. 
how they view your environment you take on. Well, and I definitely like the idea of if you're the character in your story, you, you, right up front you said, push the plot forward. Right. You're the person pushing the plot forward. So definitely, I can see this. And our friends, our family, those six people that we're most close to, they push our life forward. Mm-hmm. Good and bad, right? They're, we're not <laughs> saying that that's a good thing for some people, but good or bad, that moves our life forward because the, the, the clock is ticking. Whether we yeah. like it or not, our life is moving forward. We're going to get to the end of the book at some point. Right, exactly. <laughs> Interesting, because research shows that close friendships are good for your health, right? We've right. given statistics on that, that um, having a close circle of friends can decrease your risk for health problems like diabetes, heart attacks, and stroke. Having a strong social tie can also decrease feelings of loneliness, mm-hmm. right? We did two whole shows on that topic of the epidemic of loneliness in this country right now. Right. And according to a 2010 review, people with strong relationships have half the risk of premature death from all different causes. Hmm. So... Well, there's a stigma you can get rid of. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Close friends help us set and achieve our goals. They push us outside of our comfort zone. At least they should. They should, yeah. And since we trust them, we're able to experience new and exciting things we wouldn't do on our own. Yeah. You and I could list things if somebody wanted us to right now of things that we have done together that we would not have done alone. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we I have talked several, several of those things on the show, you know, yeah. that I would have never done that if we weren't if we wouldn't have done those things together. So I think finding that kind of support group is critical. That the ones that and I guess when we talk about the character and we talk about the five elements. You know, you want it, You should know where you want your story to go, right? I mean, so that so when you talk about your character and your story, you should have close friends and family that's going to help that plot thicken. Right. Well, again, and if you just think of your own life and how that has happened, and mm-hmm. you know, some of us, uh, our life has the plot has thickened in just amazing ways that life has taken us to wonderful places. Mm -hmm. And some people, their plot thickened and they didn't do so well. Right. You know, I mean, I was the director of education at a maximum security prison. can tell you endless stories of how characters and people's story led them into not such a good place. Mm -hmm. It happens. And it's interesting because in a story, when you look up characters, right, what are characters in your story? There are, you need certain things, right? You okay. need certain characters. And if you look at any story, look at any good movie, you're going to find that they have the main character, right? What we're talking about is ourself. We have our sidekicks. That'd be me. Right? That, would be <laughs> that would be us for each other. Our antagonists, right? Those people that just really... Do we want to name them on air? No. <laughs> That's great. That's good. Our good guys and sometimes even our bad guys, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And we have those people that are always going to be there to save the day. So your hero of the story. That's right. So everybody who's listening right now, take a moment and think. You know, you're your main character. Who are your sidekicks? Who are the ones that you would consider your antagonists? Who are some of your good guys? Who are some of your bad guys? And who are those people that are always going to be there to save your day? I think that's a really great list to go down. Yeah. I mean... It could really be eye-opening just to kind of list those things down. It's like, you know, if I'm the main character, who is my sidekick? You may not want to tell your friend that they're the sidekick <laughs> of your story. But, you know, if or who the antagonist is in your story because it might surprise you. 
You, and there may not be people that you can eliminate. Once you figure it out, if they can, you can eliminate them, that's great. But sometimes maybe they're family right. or at work or whatever. But these are characters in your story. Mm-hmm. And thinking of it that way is really, at least I had fun with it. I, had, I love putting the show together because I was like, man, that's true. <laughs> Who's sharing in my story? And what piece do they fit? And how are we going forward, right? And right. then... You know, because we, we did a whole show on the separation is an illusion, right? Because we're all in this together. And if we didn't see that over the last year of the pandemic of 2020, that we're all in this together, that we talk all the time about how important those six people in our lives. And the fact that it's really heartbreaking that 80% of Americans say that they don't have a close friend. That statistic is staggering for me. Yeah. I mean, well, you think 80% of people don't have anybody to share their story with. You know? Right. And so. well, and because when we look at living a great story, they're probably not living. They're experiencing a life of breathing. Very good point. I don't know that you can have a living life and have a living story, an evolution, if you will, if you're not having people in your life to share it with. You and know? you think about the when we talk about the story of your life, whoever your life is, I mean, it doesn't have to be jeff bezos's story you know i think that's what we we end up doing a lot of times is like we we think our happiness is based off somebody that we see on tv or you know some facebook or facebook or something to that effect and so i think it's important for when we do talk about your story it has to be your story right right Right. because again that's kind of by definition it's it's yours you're the one breathing Mm-hmm. Right, you're the one making choices or allowing others to make your choices, and you're the ones that are choosing to have the characters in place in your life that you have. Very good. I mean, so we know you got the characters. So yep. now we got to talk about the second part, right? Right. The second part is the setting. Okay. So the setting is really the context in which the story or the scene occurs. It kind of includes the time, the place, the social environment. Uh, those elements of setting also include, if you want to think about cultural, the historical period that we live in right now, geographical, where do we live? Um, so when we say picture it, Sicily, 1934. <laughs> right. That's that. <laughs> if we we're talking about a person and a character, that's the place. So right okay. now we're almost a quarter of the way through 2021 and... at the end of a terrible pandemic. You know, I mean, and what are the social environments of that time? And your social environments may be different than my social environment, so you know you got to because take our it from characters your point are somewhat different. Absolutely. Even though we share our own, we're each other's sidekick. The rest of our characters, a lot of them, are different. Yes. So if we're going to look at where does the stigma come in, right? That's going to be in this section of your setting because it's a social environment. So where we get our story derailed is by those perceived differences in our setting, the social norms that don't fit our story. Ooh, okay. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Absolutely. uh, Feeling different or being treated as an outcast for some reason. Um, In our current environment, we talked about individuals that are transgendered with Asians right now. A huge push on Asians. Uh, Muslims are still under attack. Uh, These are really three of the big groups um, that their story right now is placed around fear I mean, Asians can't even go out in their own neighborhoods and walk around without somebody attacking them mm-hmm. on daily on the news, right? So how are they living their story through the stigma that is currently being placed upon them in their setting? Their geographical locations, their time, uh, the culture 
that we're experiencing right now. That really is your setting. So what setting is your life? And a lot of people change their settings because they don't like their story. Yeah. And it, you can now see how it works if you change your setting to change your story. You have to, right? I mean, if it's yeah. going to be your story, you have to change it. So I guess that's why people run away or they move away or they get away, whatever that may look like. And so they can change that stigma that has just been poking at them and poking at them and poking at them because that's not their story. Well, if you think of just some specifics, right? If you live in rural Indiana and you're gay and you have a stigma put upon you by rural Indiana and you decide you want to move to San Francisco... Absolutely. You're you're no longer going to have a societal stigma in your setting on you anymore. So that's just one example. That is one. But it's a good one because if you think about it, I think that that's what most people generally thinking is the hardest part, is if you change your setting, you could change your whole mindset, right? Because you would not have the same stigmas at all. In a different location. Potentially. Potentially, yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it takes a lot of self-awareness to realize what things that you're trying to get off your back. Well, sure, but but if if you're constantly filled with shame because of it... Well, look at kids when they go off to college, right? You, You can see drastic differences in when kids leave the home, especially when we talk about, you know, Christian evangelical kids that go and then just go crazy in mm-hmm. college. That's part of it too, right? That pressure on you, that stigma, that environmental setting is point. is now changed. And so, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily good news for them, but you see in this example how this works. Absolutely. So looking at your own life, your own perceptions and what stigmas, what environmental settings you live in. What? Are, how are those affecting your story? The third part that makes a good story is the plot. Okay. We gotta have Ooh, a plot. The plot, uh, and our plots change right over the course of our years. We hope, but this is where our fellow characters really come in. The plot describes the events and the, their significance as the story unfolds. The plot is literally the sequence of events, and in that sequence, we learn more about the characters, the setting, and the moral of the story. And shouldn't we be doing that? Yes, we We should should be be. learning more every day about the moral of our story. Yep. Because, I mean, then you're not doing anything. You're not not writing your story. I would argue it's not being written at all. No, you're just living. You're breathing. Yeah. Events are those choices that make our life a story. I can see that, yeah, because that totally makes sense. Yep. What are we doing to have fun, right? To live, to be a living person each day. What brings you joy? What makes you feel significant? What are you learning about yourself and those around you daily, right? Is your story progressing to make more sense or are you more just scattered all over the place? <laughs> well, so I you know? assume for most people, it can be both at the same time. Right? Sometimes. Could be. <laughs> uh, is our sequence events actually making a difference in the world and for those around us? And does that matter? It matters to us. Some people it matters more. Some people it doesn't matter as much. Uh, do those fellow characters in our story make sense? Are they making our life a better story? Yeah, because some people need to be written out of the story if they're not making that's sense right. to well, your story. That's part of the story, right? <laughs> right? And you can have good cops and bad cops and people get, you know, moved out and, you know, they just disappear from the story. And exactly, people come and go for good and re- bad reasons. So 
what are we talking about when we talk about the fourth part of the story? Because you got to have what? Conflict. Okay. <laughs> and that, now I got to tell you, most people are like, whoa, I don't like conflict. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say in our personal story that we can also say change. Okay. I, I'm, I'm adding that because it's our show and I can. <laughs> but I'm changing it to conflict. Obviously, it, what's interesting because I did a show, I, ha- I haven't actually finished it. Of, I talked to people who are over 100 and I watched YouTube videos of people that were over 100 to see what were the key things that they said life was about. Because mm-hmm. I thought, oh, happy and sad. And it wasn't. It was They said that happiness really didn't play into their 100 years. It really was times of conflict and times of peace. That's how they define their life. That is a consistent theme of people that are over 100. So this made sense in areas of conflict, but I think a lot of conflict comes from change and refusing to accept change or refusing to accept failure, if you will, that creates conflict internally as well as externally. Because the conflict in ourself is really what we're talking about. Yeah, we're not talking about you going on the street corner and getting in a fight. We're talking about the conflict from within. internal thing, right? So as we said from the beginning of the show, our story has to evolve from simple to more complex. Right? That's mm-hmm. kind of the definition. So this evolution takes place by embracing the changes in our life. And what might be conflict can also be challenges that we face every day. 100%. That's just part of life. Mm-hmm. Right? Guilt really is kind of hurting those people that we love, those internal conflicts of shame that we've talked about with the stigmas. Low self-esteem, have a whole show on that. The Those external things that we put on us of the stigmas that we accept from other social groups, feelings of failures, all of those beliefs about ourselves that we're not enough. Whatever it is, we're not enough of it. Mm-hmm. That we are these conflicts that are holding back our story and making it more interesting, right, sometimes, and more colorful when we're overcoming those things and moving forward in spite of the conflict. But doesn't that make a great story when we're watching it on TV? If everything <laughs> in a movie was everything was great, nobody would watch it. I, no, yeah. There's got to be a conflict. There's got to be something bad that happens to somebody that they can overcome it um, or whatever. The uh, same is true with our life. If everything was just you know mediocre and going along smooth sailing, not very exciting. No, but yeah, you're right. It, you got to have those up and downs, those peaks and valleys. Right. And the final part of creating a great story is the theme, right? A yes. story has a theme. In general, the message about life or human nature that the, that the author really wants to convey to the reader or in a movie, the, or somebody who's watching it, right? The theme is the author's truth revealed through the story. That's a definition of the theme of a story. Let me say that again. So the definition of the theme of a story, we're talking about our story, Mm -hmm. right? The theme is the author's truth revealed through the story. So they should know who and what you are by the story you tell. Exactly. That's how I took it. And I thought, oh my goodness, this just really reinforces (laughs) having an authentic, transparent life Because people are paying attention. We talk about that all the time, right? People are watching your story. People should be able to say what you value. What do you stand up for? What would you fight for? What would you die for? The people in your life, the characters in your life should support you in having a great theme of the truth of who you are revealed 
throughout the story of our life, evolving as our life goes forward, figuring those things out and revealing them in our story. Hmm, that's kind of powerful there, Dr. Stewart. You know? <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I fell in love with this stuff when I was putting it all together because I thought, oh my God, that is so true. We talk about purpose and life purpose simply translated into the theme of a story, our story, our life, our living, if you will, is really about revealing our truth to the world. Now I got to tell you, that's pretty powerful. Yep. So are we living our truth? Well, I can tell you a lot of people don't, but I think that, well, I can't say that. I mean, people are living what they live, but I will say that you could do it better, if anything. I know I can. Sometimes I think I'm living my truth, and then other days I don't think so, so much. Well, this was another thing I actually looked up the definition of what is living your truth. Okay. And there's actually a definition. If you is want to there really? It. Yep. Okay. It is, your relationships with others can be based on mutual respect rather than the disempowering need for external validation. <laughs> That's what the definition of living your truth means. Okay. So when we have the confidence to accept what's right for ourselves, it releases us from the need for other people's approval. Ooh. And that is just so true, right? Putting those things together, that revealing our truth through our story, through our relationships that are based on mutual respect. Yes, absolutely. It's that simple to live a good story. My gosh, I mean, I mean, when you think, and that's a lot to ingest. Yep. And you're talking about creating your story, wherever that is, and however you started. But that's a lot to take in. I mean, it really is, but powerful stuff too. I mean, I, I loved it. I loved putting it together. This has been fun recording it because it really is the only way to be authentic and honest in the relationships with yourself and with those people around you is to find your truth, live your truth, live your purpose, figure out what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, what do you need help with, what do you need to improve on? You know, what mark do you want to leave on the planet? And how do you do that through your story? That's important to us. And I think anybody who's listening to our show would agree. And today was, I think, a lot of things to think about on if you say it's important to you, how do you create that? And we've just given you tons of examples Absolutely. of how to do that and how to see if you're not doing that. Because really, God put us on this planet to make a difference, right? Yeah. With the characters that we choose to have in our life every day, with the setting that we choose to embrace, who we are, where do we belong, and not really letting other people dictate our setting and how we show up in the world. Well, I, there you have it. I mean, you've got a lot of stuff to unpack there, but... Uh, good book to unpack i mean sit down and read it brother i mean you can really kind of just let your creative juices flow and change the things that you want to change because you're the author right well this would be a great book this would <laughs> this would be a great book story versus stigma and how how do we go about living that? and i gotta tell you the stigma part i never really thought about it in those kind of contexts and i think that it's really important for people to Really think about what kind of stigmas you put on yourself and you put on others. Exactly. Because you're changing their their book, if you will. That's exactly right. So we're about out of time for this show, and we have some great news. Starting January 1st, 2022, you can find our show at livingonpurposepodcast.com or any of the podcast platform like Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, just search Living on Purpose Podcast and subscribe to the podcast or look us up on Facebook and give us a like and let us know what you want to add to this new show. That's right. 
So live every day of your life? On purpose? On purpose.